0: Welcome to the Voxter podcast. I'm Nate Elliott. And I'm Taylor Bailey. And together, we are Voxter. Voxter is a place for builders. It's also a media company. And this podcast is our attempt to provide some quality content for your ear holes. You can expect to hear audio versions of our people of growth interviews, conversations between Nate and me, and other stuff we haven't even thought of yet. We hope that you'll enjoy yourself. Now on to the show. Our guest today is Robert Berry. Robert is the founder of the Robert Berry Gallery, a virtual art gallery. Robert shared his story with us, as well as insights on mentorship, obstacles, relationships, creativity, and lots more. I hope you'll enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Robert Berry. Hi Robert, welcome to the show. Let's jump right in. Tell me who you are and what you're currently building.
1: Well, I'm the founder of Robert Berry Gallery, a virtual gallery based here in New York City, focusing on identifying and working collaboratively with the best emerging artists of the 21st century, whose work has the ability to positively and powerfully influence society. I'm building not just a gallery, but a movement towards having more beauty in one's life. Whether that be a painting or a sculpture, whether it's in a collector's home or their office, people need beauty, enjoyment, and inspiration more than ever. As we emerge from a post-COVID world, this new emphasis has been placed on mental health and emotional well-being. Art is a great outlet and gateway for us in terms of beauty, enjoyment, and inspiration. My vision for Robert Berry Gallery is to help new and experienced collectors broaden and enrich their collections while offering them enjoyment and value. The world of art will change more in the next five years than it has in the previous 50 years. How they collect art and how they experience it is rapidly evolving. People are finding that by collecting art, they're also enriching their lives. So I started building my company about 10 years ago with the intent on working with only the artists that I personally believed in. I wanted to tell their stories while also having creative control of the artistic vision of the gallery. I was doing pop-up art exhibitions around New York and I was building up momentum in my own name and brand while simultaneously running some of the most influential galleries in New York City. Um, 2020 was actually the right time to finally set out on my own. I had the experience, the Rolodex, and the determination to begin the most important chapter so far. And my vision is to find the best artists in their respective mediums and to find the right client for every work that my artists create, whether that's abstraction, figurative, sculpture, painting, photography, um, first-time buyers, or the most seasoned collectors.
0: I love that. I love that. You talked a little bit about... How you started and you've been doing this for a long time, can you just kind of give us an overview of of what your journey looked like from the end of high
1: school to today? Yes, of course. Um, I finished high school in 1999. Seems like an eternity ago, but (laughs) and from there I went straight into the undergraduate program at Stony Brook University and I was studying art history, fine art, psychology and philosophy Once I finished my bachelor's degree, I started working at an art gallery in Chelsea and started to learn the business side of it. By 2008, I was the director of an influential gallery focused on emerging artists. And I started actually working with a few of the artists that I'm representing right now, including John Ruby, who was the first virtual exhibition at my gallery, um, the amazing painter Ned Martin, intellectual multimedia artist David Kastner, and photographer Matt Rowe. So this was all the bedrock for what was to come. And so from there, I was doing pop-up exhibitions around New York. And it was that time as well that I went to actually start getting my master's degree in art history at Brooklyn College. So I finished there in 2014. And now after 15 years of professional gallery experience, I started my business during these days of COVID-19. I love that.
0: I think it's really helpful to share kind of the steps in your journey, because a lot of people that read our, our site, they're younger people and they're Trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, and I think it's helpful to to get that overview of where you where you came from and, and how you got there. Mm-hmm. So, Voxter, the name of our company, means growth in Icelandic. So, what does the idea of growth mean to you?
1: Well, I just started my business formally this year, but I've went from zero to sixty um, very quickly, actually quicker than I ever expected. Um, The first show has been very successful and I've already sold a couple of John Ruby's paintings and a few works by some of the other artists that are also being shipped to the new homes like today. Awesome. (laughs) Um, It's all about connecting the right artwork to the right collector. Um, The business will grow and evolve over time and only time will really tell where it takes me. So growth for me means helping more art collectors, groups, cultural associations, museums, corporate collections... I want them all to establish world-class art collections that they really love that is really meaningful to them this means identifying the artists the particular pieces and where they're even going to go in these physical spaces to help them with their vision and the goals for their art collections on the long term and of course we're not a barrier getting a physical space or multiple spaces around the world doing more art fairs um, these things would be fun and also a more productive means in reaching new collectors. So as the world of fine art continues to be affected by the fallout of COVID, I believe there's going to be opportunities to step in where some of these groups have fallen. So it's not actually about failing, it's about making the right moves during this economic climate and to make the timing work for you, most importantly. Regardless of where I am with growth and development, I will always focus on my mission of offering the world's best art artists and best artworks to collectors.
0: I like that. That's a really, really great answer. Thank you. Yeah. um, A lot of, of young people or people just starting their journey, they kind of wonder how to get mentors. Do you have a mindset around mentorship?
1: Absolutely. Mentorship is a fantastic tool, but it has to be the right fit for both parties. I was actually lucky to have several professors as mentors early on. And at Stony Brook, um, I studied with the renowned art historian, Dr. Donald Cuspit, was just amazing. I've read most of his books, and they're above my pay grade on some of them, but I've learned an awful lot from um, his entire catalog. And it was Dr. Cuspit who taught me the power and significance art really has on society, how it influences us as a culture. And that there's always going to be new art to appreciate and also analyze that things are happening and we need to understand the world around us, where those artists were coming from and what it meant for today, especially in days like this of what kind of art's going to be made today. We need to know what's going to happen with that. And my photography professor and very important artist, Carl Pope, he taught me to believe in myself and that if I wanted to achieve success, I was going to have to work harder than anyone else. So for some, working hard might mean more hours, but in photography, it means a lot more than that. It means learning your camera, camera better than anyone else, experimenting with style, and trying and failing a whole lot of times in the darkroom to try to physically interpret and replicate what's on your film. And sure enough, a few years back, I think it was um, 2018, 2017, I was at the Whitney Museum, and I came across one of the most powerful works I had ever seen. And I went up to see the wall tag next to it, and it said, Carl Pope, acquired in 1994. And completely taken aback, I know I knew him as a photographer, and this piece just blew me away. And it all started to click uh, that Carl has already been taking his own advice that he was offering me as a student, and he did exactly what he told me to do so. And today, he's actually having a resurgence in the art world, and he has a major work prominently featured at the Cleveland Museum of Art. And his acclaimed work, The Bad Air, was published in The Appearance of Black Lives Matter by Nicholas Mirzoff, who was actually another one of my professors at Stony Brook. So ultimately, Carl taught me determination was a major driving force in every successful person's story. And then in current years, I find inspiration speaking and learning from historians and curators that have had decades of experience, um, Peter Falk and Robert Curcio, amongst others.
0: That's awesome. There's a lot of helpful things in there. I think, I think half the battle is picking the right mentors. Absolutely. And then the other half is learning to listen to them. So I think there's a lot of really helpful stuff in that answer.
1: I'm glad. Hope your listeners like it.
0: Totally. So we focus a lot on overcoming obstacles because we realize that when you're building anything, there's going to be a lot, a lot of obstacles. So how do you approach obstacles and overcome them?
1: Obstacles are part of life. Learning the stories of some of the leading art dealers has helped me to overcome some of these obstacles. So when I was starting out, I often thought about Larry Gagosian, who was selling um, posters and framing them in Los Angeles in the 1970s and he transformed that business into an art gallery empire today with galleries all across the world. Or even David Zwirner, who created a very focused and precise vision for showing some of the best artists of his generation. These days I feel more closely aligned with Leo Castelli, who opened up a gallery with the intention of selling art, but he was one of the first to really put his artists first. He followed his eyes and gave them all a monthly stipend, And that means the artists would be getting paid a small amount of money per month and not have to worry about their sales, which led them to create better works and have a more comfortable relationship. And the most important part of overcoming obstacles is to be brave. Um, This could be trying something new, talking with someone new, or taking some other kind of risk. Their obstacles are a part of life, but the only way around them is straight through them. So what I end up doing with obstacles, I think, I plan, and then I walk straight through it. When things go awry, I respond with my gut, but I make sure to one, never respond angry, and to always have good news when picking up the phone to call someone. Very important. I've also learned that the power of positive thinking and that most difficult situations are really just a challenge waiting for a solution. That's a great answer. Thank you.
0: A lot of times I I ask someone a question like this and there's a lot of good stuff in there, but taking wisdom and applying it is, is kind of the hard part, and that is really, really applicable. I like those steps.
1: Always the hard part.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about building from the perspective of an artist. Could you talk about the importance of creativity
1: while building something? Yes, of course, of course. Well, creativity is incredibly important in life, and many people are not creative simply because it's too much work. It takes courage and a desire to create something new. Creativity is coming up with original ideas, and when building a business, this is what gets you ahead of your competition. There is hundreds of other art galleries in New York City, so my original idea for my business was to create a virtual gallery. And what that means is I'm running a standard art gallery business with monthly exhibitions, connecting artists to collectors, but all these exhibitions are done digitally. So now, the only limitation any of my artists have for their show is their own imagination. So now there's also much lower overhead. Artists are able to earn a little more from every sale since I'm not spending, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 on a commercial lease. So with the online gallery, artists can promote their visions thoroughly, more clearly, and without worrying about the limitations like shipping expenses, production costs, logistics. And for the art gallery business itself, historically galleries have made art buying a very cold and transactional experience, which means pretentious salespeople, new buyers don't get access to the best works. They'll be put on a waiting list and told they'll get something eventually. And it's generally, it's not a fun experience. So I wanna create a positive experience for my clients and prospective clients, um, which from my experience seems to be the most creative part of what I'm doing. It's really interesting
0: when I think about buying art, that seems to me like a luxury or something that you would want to do because it's enjoyable. Um, and maybe that, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I would think that if I'm buying art, I would want it to be like a really fun and, and exciting experience. And so I think that what you're doing is probably the best way to go about it. So I really like that.
1: Well, it's what i tell all of my clients and prospective clients is to buy what you love and you'll never go wrong so this means that trust your eye um everyone knows what they're looking for and, and they know what they're going to like and what they're not going to like when it's when people start buying with their ears and they hear you know this artist is going to be you know i can you get it for five thousand dollars and it's going to sell for thirty thousand it becomes speculative and it becomes you know more sport when I want it to be about passion. I want people to come back to me five years later and say, Robert, that piece you sold me, I absolutely love it, and I'm never going to sell it. It's worth, you know, $100,000 now, but it's never going to leave it. It's going to stay on that spot on my bedroom wall forever.
0: Totally. Yeah, I really like what you're doing. Is there a particular book or podcast or movie that has been particularly impactful to you?
1: Well, I enjoy podcasts, yours especially, and Appreciate it. With, <laughs> where what we learn from you is that it, learning directly from these people, straight from the business leaders, their advice, their stories. Um, I guess playing and writing music is also a great outlet for me. As, as far as for reading, um, one of the most impactful books I've read is How to Start and Run a Commercial Art Gallery by the incredible gallerist Edward Winkleman. Um, This book was quite helpful when I read it back in 2009, as it broke down the gallery business efficiently, and it was very straightforward. It was right to the point, chapter by chapter, on this is what you do, this is how you do this, this is how you do this. It spelled out all the best practices, which they definitely don't teach you in grad school. And it also reassured me that everything I was doing was literally by the book, which felt very nice.
0: Oh yeah. It's nice to have that that kind of instruction manual, especially something as like on the
1: nose as that book. Well, it was shocking that it was everything I've been doing for, you know, 10, 10 years at that point was right by that book. And the other book that I've been reading is called Management of Art Galleries, written by Magnus Resch, and this he wrote as his dissertation and it was a very in-depth analysis of the art market. So this covered the gallery system, the auction markets, and really broke down the financial system of the art market, which was extremely interesting and which people really don't want to talk about. There's a lot of privacy and secrecy in the art world. And he was one to first say, we have to make things a little more public now, which means collectors know what things are valued at and it's a little more fair of a playing field, You know, less insider trading and everything becomes a little more honest, which is something I stand very strongly for. So I recommend that every entrepreneur listen to podcasts, books, and all sorts of other media outside their specialty. So people listening today may not be interested in the art world, but maybe there's one of my business ideas that will help them start their business in their own field. And Because you, you never know where these ideas can come from and you can bring them into your own practice for even greater success.
0: Totally. It's, it's kind of that idea if you, like, if you do what everyone's doing, you're not going to have an outcome that is different than what everyone else is doing. And so you need to kind of spread out and and branch out and explore different areas. And I think that'll help you be creative and then also get new ideas that other people don't have.
1: Exactly. And be the first and do it the best.
0: I like that. (laughs) A lot of building a successful business has to do with building relationships. How do you think about building successful relationships and, and going about that
1: in the right way? Well, the most important thing in any business is there's relationships. So in the art business, I'm meeting artists, so I have to have good relationships with them. I'm meeting clients that I've been working with for 15 years, so I have to know them. I need to know what they like, what they're looking for, or what kind of budgets, and what drives them as a collector. And then I have a whole other group of people that I haven't met yet, prospective clients. So across this board, it's focusing on basically the artists who are my vendors as an entrepreneur. They're my vendors providing inventory. Then I have to please my current collectors, which means traveling. I might have to go to Chicago. I might have to go to London to meet with someone, have dinner, and really find out if this particular piece they're looking at is the right piece. And then it's finding new ways to connect to new people and now we can do that with Facebook, Instagram sponsored posts. I've been doing quite well with that. you know the business has only been open since COVID. I'm getting a lot of attention there and it's actually driving new business. And you know speaking with entrepreneurs, I'm speaking with you, this is going to help build something. We're having a great conversation now. Um, someone that you know might go, "Oh, I know Robert." And maybe we have to talk about this. I haven't heard him. Someone on your podcast next week, I might know from a previous company, a previous life, and it will all come together. So I guess coming together with people, you don't know who you know, but make sure you know everybody.
0: Love it. Yeah, I think that idea of, of building relationships, I like to categorize it that way instead of networking, because networking has kind of a, have kind of a negative connotation sometimes, but the more people you know and the more of those meaningful relationships you build, like you never know who's gonna have an opportunity or what door's gonna open just because you've built a friendship. So I really believe that. Absolutely.
1: Well, with networking events, just quickly, I've gone to quite a few of those and people are more interested in selling than actually talking. So I could meet someone who has a technology company And instead of trying to learn from me what I'm doing, they're just trying to sell me their services. So instead of here, I offer X, Y, and Z, I could tell them I'm actually looking for, you know, C, D, and E. They don't actually listen to what you're saying because they're take my business card and I want to sell you. You know, some of the best relationships I've had, you know, because I have to travel and do art fairs and things. It'll be, I'll be waiting in line to get a cup of coffee and I'll have a great conversation with someone. And it turns out, that this person comes back with their husband or their spouse and they spend $25,000, $30,000 because they like something on my wall. Like, I was talking to that guy, he's really nice. And I've sold a lot of art like that just naturally, you know, waiting online for a cup of coffee. You know, it's about those relationships.
0: Yeah, it's when, and I think that it's when those relationships stop being transactional that it's when it's even worth your time. It's not worth, in my experience, talking to someone—if you're just trying to get something out of them—but if you're really trying to build that relationship, that's when there's good, like good outcomes on both sides of it. It's so. positive
1: energy, and it's honestly, it's more fun for us when you're having fun speaking to someone. It doesn't feel like work. You know, another very important thing about what I do is that I can do something different every day, and that's on um, some days I'm speaking with artists. You know, I'm going to artist studios in Brooklyn. You know industrial spots that are virtually abandoned except a 10,000 square foot former glass factory. You know, other days I'm having, you know, dinners in West Palm Beach. I'm going to, you know, $500 bottles and it's always something different. And no matter who I'm speaking to, it's one, I want to have a good time. You know, life is very short and precious. So when I'm doing business, I also want to be enjoying it.
0: I love that. We like to kind of give this hypothetical Say it is a few years in the future, Voxter's putting on its annual conference um, for builders, builders of all different backgrounds and all different dreams, people building companies, careers, lifestyles. And you are the keynote speaker and you're asked to give a one minute keynote to um, this group of builders. What would be your key message that you would tell them?
1: First and foremost, build something that people want and that they need. I think this is the number one stumbling block with any entrepreneur or startup company. We've seen that commercial of the thing that slices butter for your bread or the vacuum cleaner that cuts your hair. And I ask myself, are these products really necessary? Are they solving any real problems? And it's building something valuable that the market wants. This could be a breakthrough product or service, and this takes time. whether you're offering a service, a product, contemporary art, building a brand that people trust. And this takes time, energy, and most importantly, a vision. And also very important to be aware, it's never a good time to start. The best thing you can do is try something small now. Can you sell your offering without any special equipment, without an expensive, fancy website? You should be able to sell something now in some capacity. If you cannot, it's likely that something is wrong with what you're selling and changes or adjustments may need to be made. You also need to know your market. Are you sure that your customer wants what you're selling? You should be able to sell and deliver on it, but offer it to a market that truly needs it as well. Um, This knowledge comes from both experience, customer research, and after you have verified these factors, you now have proof of concept and are ready to start.
0: I love that. Can you tell our listeners and readers where they can find you and learn more about your work um, and follow your journey?
1: Absolutely. Um, You can visit me at robertberrygallery.com and you can see John Ruby's new solo show and find all the artworks that might be right for your art collections. For all those interested in collecting contemporary art, please reach out. I look forward to hearing from your amazing listeners, Nate, and I hope the advice that I've given today can help inspire and motivate your audience.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, Please subscribe and rate us and check back in for more next week.
1: Bye-bye.